Tony and worship team, thanks for leading us this morning. I think once we sing more than one Christmas song and a worship thing on it, then I feel like, oh, Christmas is coming. It's on the way. Yeah, so thank you guys. Um, well, hey, uh, some of you may know that in 1986, there was a group that eventually became this church that eventually, after some other names, became Hope Covenant Church. Back in 1986, this, this group met in the living room of Horace and Marge Boydston. Here's a picture of Marge up on the screen here. Many of you know uh, Gary and Joy, who are up here today. Uh, Joy's playing violin over here. Gary was playing bass, but they do a whole lot of stuff around here at Hope. Um, Gary is Marge's, one of Marge's sons. Um, and uh, some of you that have been around might know that Marge has been dealing with some health challenges for a number of years. Uh, and on Friday night, Marge passed away at the age of 88. Um, so our hearts are with the Boydston family. <clears throat> and uh, man, just feel the, even the heaviness sometimes of, of a loss like that, of a life that's had such an impact. And so... Uh, it's so interesting to mourn the loss uh, of someone who, even those of us that never met her, have, has impacted our lives because of her yes to Jesus and their family's legacy and faithfulness. Uh, I don't think this church would exist if not for the Boydston family and, and for Horace, and who, Horace passed uh, six years ago, and uh, Marge, who just passed two nights ago. So... Um, we also, though, in our morning, we celebrate that, that, that she is no longer in pain uh, and that she is fully restored. So just think, <laughs> just picture she's in the presence of Jesus. I wonder if we'll need glasses in heaven. Do we get just to wear them so people can recognize us? Or probably, <laughs> if we do, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. So let me pray just for the Boydston family. Uh, Jesus, um, I ask for your comfort, for your peace, for their family as they, they mourn Marge's loss and, and at the same time they celebrate that she's no longer in pain, that she is fully restored in your presence, Jesus. Um, we celebrate her legacy, the legacy of this family. We thank you, God, we thank you for the faithfulness of this family and for the fruit that their faithfulness and obedience and their love for you and their love for others, the, the fruit that's been born of that faithfulness, um, how that's been shown here at Hope Covenant Church and has rippled out way beyond our walls, all because they said yes to you, Jesus. We thank you. Um, bless the Boydston family uh, as they mourn this loss and celebrate um, Marge's new, <laughs> new self with you, Jesus. We bless their family in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, the memorial service will be January 14th at 10 o'clock here. So it's a, a month away. So, um, all right. Hey, we'll say hi to somebody next to you for a second here. Give them a, give them a Merry Christmas hello. Heidi did. Hey, what's up, brother? I've been meaning that. You feeling better? You getting there? All right. That's good. Well, I figured. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, it is Advent, the season of Advent. Um, 
Oh, we can roll the recording if we haven't already. I'm going to try to do better this service. <laughs> it's already going? Okay, good, 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 good. Okay, um, well, Christmas is on the way in this Advent season, and, and some of us, you know, with just saying Advent or Christmas, maybe your blood pressure like mine goes up just a little bit. Anybody hear or start thinking about Christmas and you already feel overwhelmed? Anybody feeling overwhelmed with what's coming? Um, is anybody just looking at your calendar? Do you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy? Anybody besides me? No, there's only a couple people that feel busy. Oh, okay, this is some of us. Okay, there's some, some honest people here. Brittany is shaking her head no and she's lying. What kind of what staff do we have that just lies right in church besides me? <laughs> oh, I love you, Brittany. Oh, my goodness. All right, so, but some of us are feeling overwhelmed and busy, and those that aren't can now take tips from Brittany because she has a full schedule but doesn't feel overwhelmed. It's amazing. So, I mean, I look at my own life, and, uh, you know, working at church, and um, I know some of you think that we just work for an hour and a half. Well, now that we have two services, two and a half hours on Sunday, and that the rest of our life is kind of skating, but that's not quite true. Um, um, But on top of our regular church schedule... I'm taking a couple seminary classes. Uh, Heidi is taking a class and training to be a spiritual director and had like a big intensive this past weekend. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had finally got over COVID. Uh, oh, in the meantime, we've been remodeling the whole downstairs because there was some damage done. And we figured while we were at it, we might as well wipe out the entire kitchen that needed to be redone since we moved in two years ago and start that remodeling project as well. So our house was torn up. We are busy. And in fact, if we hadn't put the Hope Staff Christmas party on the calendar for this past Friday, like we did that months and months and months ago, we'd have been like, that's crazy. There's no way. Like, it ain't going to happen. But it was on the calendar. Like, here it comes. And we're like, well, everybody, our house, we'll see what's done and what's not. Um, And it's not quite all finished or done yet. But we decided, hey, we're still going to have this party, ready or not. Here we go. In fact, I put up the Christmas tree uh, let's see the picture of our Christmas tree. Here's how busy we are. Uh, no, and I just plugged in the lights because it's already pre-wired. So I didn't, all I did was set up the tree, right? No ornaments, no tree skirt. Uh, there's no manger scene where it goes, not yet. We've been a little busy. Um, and I don't want Heidi to have to decorate the tree by herself. So I'm hoping that maybe, like, our goal is, could we get it decorated, like, before Christmas Eve, Maybe. Oh, she's saying next week. She's pushing it forward on me because first service, she said, sure, okay. So I have, you know, 80 witnesses in the first service. (laughs) Now you guys are on her side in the second service. Great. All right, fine. Um, Anyway, all of this is fun. What's funny, by the way, mentioning the staff Christmas party in the first service, I think the staff's blood pressure was like, "Uh uh-oh, it's going up. It's anxious because... Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to show you the karaoke photo of videos of these guys singing, although it was pretty good. If you pay a price, though... I can show you your Hope Covenant pastoral staff singing karaoke to the best of the 90s songs. So just see me later. We'll do that for you. We'll do that for you. But all that to say is that we're just kind of busy, right? Um, It's Christmas. Uh, Some of us feel, would use the word scrambled, scrambled to describe how you feel right now about Christmas. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so scrambled, I can't even think straight. Like this person here up on the screen who ordered a a Noel sign, right, the four letters. And if you can see what they wrote, it's, uh, anyone know someone named Leon that might want one of these? I ordered Noel, but they sent me the wrong one. So some of you are going to need to look at that for a minute. 
before you sort it out and re-scramble the letters? Yeah, okay, so. But we do, we get so scrambled at the Christmas season. We get so overwhelmed that it's easy to miss out on Christmas, which is why Advent takes us back to the beginning. Every year, we go back to the beginning, back to what we're calling in our Christmas, uh, or our Advent sermon series, we're calling this Vintage Christmas. That's our sermon series for this month, to take us back to Christmas. And this morning, what I want to do is focus on worshiping Jesus as a way to recenter our scattered senses, our scrambled brains at Christmas. Because for many of us, the time of year when focusing on Christ could be, or seems like it, you know, could be the easiest, it's actually truthfully the hardest, right? Supposed to focus, oh yeah, it's Christmas, I can focus on Jesus, and it's not that easy. It's actually oftentimes harder because our calendars are full of activities, our to-do lists are getting longer, the stores are getting busier, uh, there's this new variant of COVID that's coming out, and this overwhelming stress creeps into our hearts like, ah, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so the question I start with is, how do we make sure we get back to the heart of the Christmas season and the Christmas story? And for starters, and what I want to talk about today is one way to do that is that we worship. That's how we get back to the heart of Christmas, because when our hearts are oriented towards Jesus, I think the rest of our actions fall into place. When our hearts are oriented toward Jesus in worship, the way we spend, the way we give, the way we love others will radically change when it comes from a place of being centered and focused on Jesus and everything else is an overflow. And that's what worship looks like. And again, there's good news here, right? Because I get way off. I need Advent every year. I'm glad that it happens every year because it's this reminder. It's an opportunity, this invitation to recenter and refocus our worship on Jesus. It's another opportunity at Advent to, to worship God. Because every year, I find myself wandering off over here, getting distracted by other stuff, and then, oh, there's the gift of Advent, where I have to come back and dial in and look at the Christmas story and stop and enter in. And I go, how did I get way over there and forget to be centered on Jesus? How did I lose track of all this? I do it every year, and I'm thankful that we celebrate Advent because it brings me back. It brings us back to this miracle. Think about it. The incarnation, that's a word that means to put flesh on. So God himself became one of us, became a baby. God himself became a human as a baby born to a teenage mother who lived in abject poverty. It's unbelievable. It's a miracle. And it blew away everybody who encountered the baby Jesus when he was born. In fact, when you read the Christmas stories in scripture, nearly every character who encountered this infant King Jesus had the same response, worship, right? They met Jesus, they heard about Jesus, he's just a baby. <laughs> but they were blown away by this good news and their hearts overflowed in worship to God. So what we're going to do at the start of the message here is just look at a few of these different characters and their response to God. The first one that I want to look at who worshiped was Mary, Jesus' mother. When she finds out that she is miraculously pregnant, her response to that finding out she's miraculously pregnant is to worship God. 
And here's part of the song that she sings as a praise to God. It's found in Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 46. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For mighty, the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. Do you see her expression here? When she learns of her pregnancy, her response, before Jesus is even born, her response is one of worship. She worships God because of this. So Mary is a great example of worship connected to the birth of Jesus. And then let's fast forward to the birth of Jesus. There's the shepherds. There's the shepherds. The angels scare them to death when they're out in the fields and they show up and the angels announce Jesus' birth. They're scared out of their minds. Um, But Luke 2 says, they went and saw the baby Jesus. And what they did was worship as well. That's their response. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just like the angel had told them. Did you see that second to last line there? The shepherd's response was, they glorified and praised God, right? They worshiped, they worshiped. So in the story of Jesus, right? You got Mary, uh, here's a great example. The shepherds um, just started thinking about, you know, well, who else? What other characters do we meet? Um, And, and, you know, of course, there's the little drummer boy, right? There's the little drummer boy, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum, right? No, I'm sorry. I'm a drummer, okay? And it's a cute song, but it ain't in the Bible story. There's no little drummer boy. But if it was, <laughs> right, I'm sure he would have played an amazing killer drum solo, right? But then, you know, baby Jesus would have bawled his eyes out and Mary would have gotten ticked because sadly, newborn babies and drums just don't mix. I, I hate that that's true, but it, it is true. Um, are you guys not laughing because you actually thought the little drummer boy was in the manger scene? Is this news, this brand news to some of us here, maybe a little bit? Yeah, blow your mind right there, right? Let me tell you about Santa later, just when people aren't around. I got, I got more news for you, okay? Don't want to ruin it for you, but yeah. Um, all right, back to where we were trying to get to. Uh, Mary, right? We had Mary, the shepherds, and there's others at the temple. Jim talked about um, And there's other stories in Matthew and Luke of people that respond in worship. But here, I'll give you a clue. A couple years later, what other Christmas characters show up? Anyone? The wise men, right? The wise men. First service, the slide went up, and everybody gave the answer right away, but I didn't know the slide was up. And then Aaron told, you know, like, oh, no, they they aren't that smart. It was on the screen behind you. So, Um, yeah, the wise men. And by the way, 
This is one of my annual traditions, kind of one of my missions in life, is to make sure that the, this important detail of the Christmas story is emphasized, that the wise men were not at the manger, right? They weren't at the manger. It was a couple years later. That's why here at Hope, you will see we set up the nativity over there, and then across the room at some distance, two years away, right, there on the journey, you know, if we were actually going to make it to scale, we'd have to put it out in the back dirt lot somewhere to really, you know, make a two-year journey. But uh, they're on their way. They're on their way because it was two years later. And I know, I know, um, it looks really cool to have the wise men and the camels in your nativity set. And my parents, we have this battle every single year. Um, but, but I contend this. If you want you know, I guess if you want to put your wise men in the nativity set right there at the same time and not a distance away, you might as well add then, you know, if you're trying to be accurate, just add the little drummer boy. Um, maybe throw in a little figure of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman and Santa. Just throw them in there, right? It would look kind of like that right there. What do you think? That'd be... Boy, you guys are not laughing at my... Laura's chuckling and silently laughing. Thank you for that, Laura. Right. I did get a text that at least some of you are listening every year when I talk about the Nativity and the Magi. Um, see this uh, text message from Corey Allhands Saturday. It says, our historically accurate Nativity scene, right? And see, the wise men are in the corner. I love that. He's paying attention, right? And Heidi said, oh, there you go. At least somebody's paying attention. So thank you, Corey and Joanna, for paying attention. All right, well, listen, the point of this whole deal is when the wise guys show up a couple years later, after the birth of Jesus, what's their response? They also worship Jesus. Verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Jump ahead to verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house with the two-year-old baby Jesus. That wasn't in there, but they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and what? Worshipped him. Hmm. Mary, the shepherds, the the wise men, so many of these other characters, when they learn of the birth of Jesus, they respond in worship, which I think is so telling and helpful, really, because I think it's an invitation to you and to me to remember and wonder this absolute miracle of God showing up in human flesh. I mean, think about it. God took on a human body, coming to be with us, to become one of us, to show his love for us and to rescue us. And that, my friends, could inspire us to worship God. When we let that in, our hearts may flow with worship where we remember our need for a savior. When we let it hit home just how amazing it is that God would come to earth as a helpless baby, he didn't have to do that, but he did out of love. And our hearts can begin to stir with affection and gratitude. And when our hearts are stirred with gratitude and affection toward God, we can't help but worship him. I wonder today, friends, will you and I just let that sink in? 
Can we surrender our hearts to his act of love and rescue in his coming? And, and will we then let our hearts overflow with worship, living with Jesus at the center of all we do? And again, that's why this Advent season, this Christmas season, it's a beautiful reminder. It's an opportunity to recenter our worship on Jesus. See, Christmas is this beautiful time for us, no matter where we've been distracted, to stop and recenter and remember the gift of Jesus, the gift of love that Jesus is to us. Again, Advent is this invitation to recenter our worship on Jesus. Now, that word worship can easily get lost, though. So I want to spend a little time here looking a little deeper at what the word worship means and how it is that we know what we are worshiping and how we express worship. So what does worship mean? How do we know what we're worshiping? And how do we then express worship? Now, first thing, our word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship, to, to ascribe worth to something. It's determined whenever we place a value on something, like I worth that, I worth that. This is what I value most. In one way or, or another, that thing right there, it's what my whole life and my energy is aimed at. That's what I worship. And that's why we say often that worship is the posture of our life. See, the truth is that you and I, it's wired into us that we were made to worship. We need it like the air that we breathe. We will worship intentionally or not because everybody ascribes worth to something. Every one of us bows towards something. And if you want to know someone's treasure, what they worship, just look at their actions. What do they say is worthy, not just always with their lips, but with their actions. What are they uh, willing to protect? What do they spend their time on? What do they invest or give money towards? What are they willing to sacrifice for? See, whatever we treasure, we serve, we sacrifice for, the thing that gets our time, attention, our money, that shows what it is that I worship. And if you're not sure what you worship, just take a look at your calendar. What do you spend time on? Take a look at your checkbook or your credit card statement, and it's a good way to find out. See, look where we spend our money, and we'll have a fairly good barometer of what it is that we worship, that we worship. Is it all spent on me and what I want? Do I hoard it? Am I obsessed with having more and more and more that I'm clutching? Or am I generous? Do I embrace the spirit of the tithe as a starting point in generosity? See, friends, you do worship something. We all do. In fact, some of the things that we worship even look a little noble on the outside, but if anything is getting more of our attention than God is, if we're sacrificing for it more than everything else, even if it's stuff that looks good, if we're worshiping something above God, the Bible calls that in our life an what? An, an idol. An idol. Even good stuff, like achievement, like a fitness. Um, if you treasure a certain level of achievement above all else, well, then you'll sacrifice for that. That's how we worship achievement. If you treasure having a certain kind of body above all else, you'll sacrifice for that at the expense of everything else. If you treasure having a certain amount of money or security, guess what? We'll sacrifice for that 
that becomes our idol. Because you can tell what somebody is devoted to by their actions. Not their words, but by their actions. There's a guy named Robert Russell. Tells kind of a fun, interesting story. Um, Listen, preachers don't tell you whether they know a story is true or not, and so I, but I don't know if this story is true or not. I'll just be right up front here. It's just a story, right? But Robert Russell writes about, in Kentucky, there's a big basketball game every year between the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville. Any fans, college basketball fans here, anybody? Yeah, okay, a few of us nodding heads. Uh, they call this game between Kentucky and Louisville the dream game. And so this guy is there. He's there for the big sold-out game. And it's sold out, but he sees this older woman, and she's sitting alone, and there's a chair next to her that's empty that nobody's sitting in, which is unheard of. So the guy just gets curious and asks the woman, hey, how does there come to be an extra seat that's empty next to you? And she said to him, well, here's the deal. For 28 years, my husband and I were season ticket holders. For 28 years, we never missed a game. And that's his seat, but my husband, he's passed away. The guy said, oh, wow, did you have to come here alone? Couldn't you, couldn't you get somebody, friend or relative to come with you? And she said, are you kidding? They're all at my husband's funeral right now. <laughs> all right, I don't know if it happened or not, right? But if it did... <laughs> If it did, we would know, right? We'd know what she treasured. Because um, again, what we treasure, even if it's fun stuff and good stuff, the thing that we are willing to sacrifice for, cling to, um, give up all kinds of other things for, um, because sacrifice, by the way, is the language of worship. <laughs> sacrifice is the language of love. And so whatever we give our hearts to, and sacrifice everything for, that's what we worship. I mean, here's a question to take with you this week. Does the way we spend our time, money, and energy testify that we worship God? This is not intended to be a guilt-inducing statement. This is just let's shine some light on our own lives just to see, right? What is it you sacrifice for? And again, the beauty at Advent is I go, oh my goodness, I've been way over here. <laughs> oh, this is an invitation back to worship. Okay, right? Accept it as an invitation and a grace, not a shame. What is it that you sacrifice for? See, because we're all tempted, all of us, to treasure something ultimately besides God and above God. Both good stuff and dangerous stuff. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe we bow to success. Maybe it's to disordered sexuality Maybe it's a desperate need we have for another relationship. I gotta have that next relationship. We worship that. What if we bow to escape? We just wanna numb the relentless agony, agony, the relentless agony, the loneliness, the pain. We will do whatever it takes for that moment of relief <laughs> to medicate the pain, the anxiety. Maybe we bow to people-pleasing. Maybe it's fame or applause or admiration or approval. Maybe it's more than one of these. In fact, that short list that I wrote are just uh, temptations from my own life, past and present. You might have a different list. And maybe you have a bunch of altars. 
that are beckoning you and calling you and drawing you away, but you know that the Bible says to worship God and only God, to treasure him above all else. And see, friends, Scripture, God, I'll say it this way, God doesn't just ask for our worship because he's somehow desperate. He's got to have it. He needs it. Like, Scripture doesn't exhort us to worship because it'll keep God from getting mad at you. No, 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 no. Listen, the way that you and I are created is that we will never be filled by the other stuff that we try to worship. We'll never be filled by that stuff, ever. Addictions won't satisfy. More sex and different partners will leave you empty. More money and more stuff will imprison you, take you captive. Achievements and success will ultimately leave you empty. None of those things can ultimately fill you. You and I will only find peace, wholeness, and purpose when we focus our love, affection, and fulfillment on Jesus. His love is the only thing that will never fail. Only Jesus can satisfy us. And today, this season of Advent is a reminder, an invitation to we recenter our worship on Jesus, remembering his gift to us. Now, how does God want us to respond to his gift? Well, later in the life of Jesus, after he'd become a rabbi, he was teaching people about God, and Jesus was asked by someone, what's the greatest commandment? And he replied, let's read this on the screen together. He replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God with all of us. That's what worship is about. And while worship is more than just singing songs, the reason we do sing songs here every week is to give ourselves an opportunity to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We sing about God and his love for us and our love for God. And I just want to take a moment, uh, because we're talking about worship, and it's related to how we worship God when we do sing as we gather together as a church. Look what Jesus said there about heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you say that our emotions would be included in heart, soul, mind, and strength? Some nods around the room? Yeah. Um, and I, Yeah, especially heart, emotions, right? Um, Listen, it's okay to express emotion in our worship and in our relationship with God. It's okay to express emotion. Some of you already know that and do that. But I think that sometimes there's a tendency for some of us to think, especially if you're from a more um, stoic or white church background, um, (laughs) uh, I think it's easy to think, um, or by the way, to think this, if we've been in places where there's been kind of extreme emotion and we're like, ah, we've gone the other way. So either one of the extremes, if we're stoic or we've seen the stuff and it scares us, uh, some Christians tend to think that when you see somebody get excited or express emotion in worship, that it's somehow less dignified. It's not very rev- that's not a reverent way to worship. Um, so can I offer a thought to maybe free us up on this one? Is there a yes? Is there permission? Yes? Okay, most of you are saying yes, so I'm going to go ahead with permission, right? Just think about this. Jesus, um, he was a Hebrew. Hebrews are known for expressing emotion. And if you look at the book of Psalms, our book of worship in the Bible, you see a lot of emotion, don't you? All the whole gamut, right? From anger and rage to 
praise and worship and love and affection. You see the whole gamut. See, emotion is a very important part of our faith and our love for God. And we need to be free to express our emotion to God. Remember, Jesus said here, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That includes emotion. I mean, what's interesting when you think about emotion and worshiping and expressing emotion, it's even, you know, Stoic Germans or Swedes or proper English folks or even us kind of laid-back, mellow Arizonans, even we can express emotion, right, on important occasions, right? On important occasions, we'll express emotion like, you know, like a football game, right? Here we go. Um, There we go. There we go. We got fans, that's actually, um, that's actually Jim and Debbie in the middle here with uh, not really, not really, not really. I mean, but any of you uh, fans of football, Cardinal fans here, at the game today, if they start losing a team that they should be beating, will you be yelling? You might, anybody yell at your TV besides me? Anyone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Yes, that happens, right? Um, how about Suns games? You guys ever seen this character here? Right? Mr. Orange, he's really good at spelling too, but Mr. Orange. Um, NBA playoffs last season, this guy became famous around the country because it was just a great series, a lot of great series, full of emotion. Um, Anybody want to guess the upcoming game in the next few weeks that's really going to get me excited? Rivalry game with football. Vikings, Packers, somebody knows me right over here. I'm going to promise you during that game, I'm going to get pretty excited, right? Heidi's laughing. She has to be like, honey, calm down. It's going to be okay, right? You don't ever say that? You know better than to say that. Yeah, yeah, that's true, right? Yep. Um, Listen, show emotion. It's great, right? Enjoy your teams. Enjoy. It's good. It's fine. Show emotion. We, We do that, right? But as Nikki Gumbel also points out in Alpha, he says, but why not also express emotion in our relationship with God, which is far more important. Um, And Nikki Gumbel reminds us, not just expressing emotions, but what if we are free to express worship with our whole bodies like this? Like it's okay to raise your hands like this in worship. Like that's okay to do. Question, how many of you would describe yourselves as more traditional in worship or that's how you grew up, kind of traditional? Just raise your hand, wave at me, yeah. Good, good. Another question. Um, What kind of Christians do we tend to imagine came up with this lifting our hands in worship thing? Maybe Pentecostals and Charismatics, right? Some of us, some of us would guess that is true, but actually that's not the case. Did you know that raising our hands in worship is not some new things that like Pentecostals or Charismatics invented in recent history. This posture, hands raised, is actually how the Jews expressed worship in biblical times, back in the Old Testament. It's also how the Christians in the early church expressed their worship to God as well. Uh, the New Testament um, talks about raising holy hands in prayer to God in 1 Timothy 2. So this thing, this raising hands thing, this is actually the traditional form of prayer and worship. How about that, right? Raising hands is actually the traditional form of prayer and worship. Pope Benedict wrote in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, about why it is that people raise their hands. And he says, it's because it's like opening ourselves to God. I love this. It's like more surface area for God. 
That's good. <laughs> it's actually kind of the opposite of what I find myself doing sometimes, right? Arms crossed, hands in pockets, which as a physical posture kind of says what? I'm closed off a little bit. Yeah, don't come anywhere near me, God, maybe even just subconsciously. I, don't, I hope not. But, but again, the point is like this thing here, hands raised, this is actually traditional form of worship, which is really interesting, really interesting. So think about this. Let's say you walked into a church and everybody had their hands raised in the air like this. You would be accurate looking at them if you said something like, wow, I'm at a church that's practicing ancient traditional forms of worship, right? <laughs> that's what we're doing. Um, and by the way, like Nicky Gumbel points out, if you show up at a church and they've all got their hands on their side, that's absolutely fine. It's totally fine. Just remember, it's like saying, oh, I must have come to a modern trendy church experimenting with new forms of worship, hands at the signs, right? Arms crossed. Because that's just not how they would have worshipped in the Old Testament or in the early church. Now, hear me. I am not pressuring any of us to feel like you have to feel bad about how you worship and you must raise your hands. What I'm trying to do is just put it out there that, friends, we are free to express our love and our worship to God just like they did back then. So maybe, if that's new for you, give it a try. Like, you don't need to hold back. It is not more dignified. It is not more reverent to be unemotional. See, we want to bring all of us to worship, right? Worshiping with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we don't want to fake it. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves in worship. And sometimes, you know, we worship loudly, passionately. That's good. Let's do it. And sometimes here at Hope, we'll use silence or quietness. And some of us prefer one or the other, but hear me. They're both good. They're both found in scripture. Passionate celebration, quiet and silence. So if you're more of the quiet and silence reserved type, maybe stretch yourself a little bit and just do both here at Hope. Let's just do both, right? I wish I had the Tim Hawkins video. He shows like these different ways that you raise your hands in worship. I don't remember them all, but like there's, well, this one's kind of carry the TV, you know, he's... This one is the shot block, I think, is the, so. Goalpost, yeah, there we go. That's another one. You've seen this. <laughs> See, in all of our worship, right, we just give ourselves, we want to be open to God, honor him in all of our worship, all of our lives, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to fully worship, especially when we come together and sing. Now, turn the corner here as we head toward the landing, um, Let's move away from just worship as singing together because worship is not just about singing songs. We say that a lot here. It's important. We create space for it. We do that every week at, uh, when we gather. But worship is much more than that. Worship is a life that is pointed to God in every action that we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, worship is a lifestyle, not just something we do for 20 minutes once a week. And giving worship to God, it's just expressing our heart that's full of gratitude, full of awe towards God. And when our hearts are postured that way, then everything we do can become worship, not just singing, not just dancing, everything. 
Romans 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what? Worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, as worship. Let all of our lives, all of our living be directed towards God, and that is a true lifestyle of worship. And you know, a lot of people don't know this because they think worship's super narrow. Just think about singing songs or going to church. And worship is that, but it's way more than that. See, worship, pointing our attention to God, that's something that you can do when you wake up, when you take a shower, when you eat breakfast. You can worship when you're just doing good work, when you're laughing with friends, when you're looking at a sunset, when you're extending kindness towards someone else, when you're serving someone by giving to them unconditionally, those things honor Jesus, and that reflects a heart of worship toward God. And today, the season of Advent is a reminder. Again, it's an invitation to recenter our worship on Jesus. So, getting ready to land the plane here. Let's get real practical. Um, did you guys get a handout when you came in? Or do we need to ask somebody to... Brittany is awesome. Everybody clap for Brittany. She's amazing and awesome. Um, Brittany made this. That's why she wants you to have it. No, I'm just kidding. Now, how can we give ourselves more fully to worship Jesus in this Christmas season? In practical, daily, weekly, right, and beyond ways, this handout here gives a few practical ideas. We'll put it up on the screen. Probably the print's a little small to read. But I'll just read these. Um, Here's one way. Invite a friend over, see how they're doing, and listen well. That's a way to worship Jesus, by the way, right? Um, Here's another. Have your kids read the Christmas story while setting up the nativity, which keeps our attention, our focus on Jesus. And if you've already set up your nativity, you can come over and have them set up our nativity because it hasn't gone up right now. Yeah. Uh, Here's a third one. Here's a tricky one. (laughs) For one night, unplug from all technology and social media because in a world full of noise, be intentional about having quiet time. Right? It's just another way to focus in and worship. Uh, here's another. Participate in daily Advent devotionals in this season. Uh, version app uh, on your phones. It's free. There's tons, tons of devotionals for Advent to choose from. Just grab one of those and, and use those to walk yourself through this Advent time. Um, another way is to listen to the audio version of the Bible. Maybe listen through the, the Christmas story. I've been trying to read a few times a week from Luke 1 in the morning and Luke 2 at night or read both of them at the same time. Just several times to let the story just kind of get into me as we head toward Christmas Eve. Uh, here's another. Turn the radio off in the car. Spend 10 minutes thanking God for the ways that he has blessed you. That's worship, friends. And the last one, plan to be here with us every Sunday in Advent and in Christmas Eve, and invite a friend, because that too is worship. See, these are all practical ways that point our hearts toward Jesus, uh, active ways for us to enter in and worship. And you know, by the way, maybe this new pattern that you develop, if you try some of these, it extends past the Christmas season and brings about a change in your life year-round. But just give it a try for Advent. Just give it a shot. Friends, no matter how or what you do to find an intentional practice and focus on Jesus, this Advent, this Christmas season, here's the question. What will it look like for you and I to set aside distractions that take our focus off of Jesus and instead see Christmas as an invitation to treasure the gift of Jesus? 
what would that look like? You know, I think back to this posture of arms raised, wide open, creating space for God, surrender to God. Living that way, not just physically, because I could still raise my hands and have my heart doing nothing. (laughs) True, right? But it helps for me. Creating and imagining this is more surface area for God. Having a posture of life, not even just when we're singing songs, but living in a way where I am open-faced and and wide open to God, surrendered to him where I pray, God, come work. Will you work in my life, in my heart? Will you help me focus on what matters, on the things that move your heart? I surrender to you, Jesus. I fully worship you and you alone. What would it look like to live that way, even when your hands are on the wheel or doing, to have your heart just wide open in worship to God? God, I surrender to you. Worship team, will you come? In a moment, we're going to take communion, but don't grab your cups yet. Did everybody get cups that wants cups for communion for cup? Anybody just wave your hands? Good? We're good? You can run out and get them during the song too. If you want. Oh no, we'll be done by the song. So, but don't open those up yet. Leave your hands open and free. Um, as we kind of prepare and head towards communion here, I just want you to consider opening your hands in a posture of openness. You can raise them. You can just put them in front. You can carry the TV or you can, yeah. So just your hands in front of you maybe. Palms up. And Receive. God, we receive, we open ourselves, we receive your love. We surrender to your goodness. We receive your gift. We open ourselves to you, to your engagement in our life. And as we move towards the communion table, the Lord's Supper, uh, friends, just take a moment now to confess to God where other things have absorbed your attention and absorbed your worship. Scripture says if we confess our sins, if we confess our worship of other stuff, we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us. And he cleanses us by the blood of Jesus. So take a moment as we move toward remembering the body of Jesus that was broken and the blood of Jesus that was spilled that cleanses us. Take a moment to confess to God where other things have absorbed your attention and your worship. Just pause now and confess to him.
We think about how Jesus came as a baby. He was a gift. And then when he went back to the Father at the end of his time on earth, he gave us the ultimate gift. When on the night where he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, let's take and eat. Scripture goes on to say that after the supper, he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he blessed it. He said, this cup is the new covenant, which is a word for promise, the new promise, which is in my blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, let's drink together. stand.